This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical or legal advice. Always follow your local policies, procedures, and protocols when functioning in your respective profession. Additionally, the views expressed by the speakers and owners of this podcast are their own and do not represent the views of their respective employers. Listener discretion is advised. Alert Medic 1 response. Ken, Josh, and Mustafa here. Welcome back to the Alert Medic 1 podcast. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Cody Vertico. I'm with the Omaha Fire Department, assigned to Heavy Rescue 33. Um, and then, oh, I guess, co-founder slash instructor for Midwest Misfits Training here in based out of Omaha. So what is that? Like how Midwest did, Misfits? Yeah, so how did you come up with it? What was the, like, yeah, where did you come from? Like, what, what's your plan? What's your goal? Yeah, so... Um, being here between the coasts, we noticed uh, a big gap in training. Uh, we noticed a lot of training companies on the East Coast and the West Coast, but there wasn't really much here in the Midwest. So uh, myself and three others um, were all on USAR, and we thought, what better than to start our own company and see if we can change that, kind of bridge that gap here in the Midwest. So basically, we're, <laughs> we specialize in fire service classes. So... Um, anything from a surge class to a writ class, um, but we also do special operations classes. So we do rope classes, trench classes, confined space, swift water, all of that. So how does that work with, um, I'm trying to remember, you guys have like local, how does your training work again? Don't you have like a state sponsored system or something? I can't remember. So basically it's all up to the AHJ on training what's that the authority having jurisdiction oh okay so basically if you take a class and you meet the certain job performance requirements you get a little pass the box check mark and then that's your certification okay Okay. if that makes sense who makes the standards uh nfpa makes the standards okay so the state doesn't really have a role the state doesn't really have a role unless it comes to fire one or fire two. You have to do those through the state, get certified uh-huh. through pro board. Uh, but for all those other classes, the state doesn't have a role in those. Interesting. Interesting. Josh, you got anything so far? No. Um, I was actually just trying to look you guys up, see uh, see what you guys are about, since I follow a lot of stuff in the fire um, hemisphere as well because of my job. Um, yeah. So I thought I'd heard about you guys, maybe. I'm not sure. Oh. Oh, back. Ken's back. Somebody picked the call up for me. It was shocking. Perfect. Perfect. Very happy. Um, okay, what were we talking about? Yeah, so is there – so I guess I, I'm just not familiar. So do you have to get your training credentialed by anybody, accredited by anybody, or how does that work? Yeah, so we're all – all the instructors are instructor too. That that's basically through the state as well. So you have to you have to be pro board certified for instructor. Um, so we have two two requirements for instructor. Instructor one, and then there's instructor two. So instructor two basically lets you design your own material, design your own classes, and what you want to do there. So interesting. Yeah, because we have a thing in Maryland. Um... I, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong. It's only for EMT, right? MICRB. No, MICRB is for any um, fire um, training in the state. Oh, so, okay. Um, uh, it's I'm not MICRB qualified myself as Ken an instructor. Is. Ken, um, do you have anything? Yeah, Ken, Ken, what does MICRB stand for? I'm blanking right now. Oh my goodness! Um, it's the Maryland Instructor Credentialing Re- Review Board. Board. Credential and review board, yes. Yeah, yep. we we yeah. affectionately call it the McRib. McRib, uh, <laughs> I like it. Um, so yeah, we have MICRB, and uh, I know talking to other instructors at our academy, um, fire instructors, anyone that teaches EMT 
at our academy must have it because it's a state course. Uh, our driver's training, I believe, is MICRB as well um, because of EVOC is a state-level uh, class as well. But interestingly mm-hmm. enough, our paramedic instructors are not because paramedic is not a state-run program, so it does not require the same oversight. So our um, director of ALS training basically signs off on who are instructors. Um, the primary for the class I teach in doesn't even have instructor one. I, I don't he, have instructor one. But, yeah. but he can teach. He, yeah. And that's his big thing. He's like, I care if you can teach. I don't care about your cert. Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, do you guys have a, like an MICRB uh, type uh, level other than the instructor two? No, we don't. We have. <clears throat> so that's how. That's how, yeah, I guess that's just how, how Nebraska works is basically it's up to the each authority having jurisdiction. So whatever they think the requirement meets, like if they want it to be a pro board certification, there are companies out there that can give you a pro board certification, but others like us can come in and teach the same class that doesn't have that seal on it, but you meet the same requirements. So we can mark off that, yes, you passed these job performance requirements. Here you go. So most people in Nebraska, they, that's the route they're going to go um, just because it's cost so much money. Um, and we got a lot of smaller departments in Nebraska to get that pro board cert. So, so you're going to be um, able to, with your company, you guys are going to, or company, or uh, I guess you're a nonprofit or a company or how are you guys organizing? Yeah. Company. Cool. Basically. Yeah. You guys are probably going to be filling a niche there, right? That you, like you said, isn't there already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's how the idea started forming. Um, Another thing that added to that, that kind of, um, how do I word this? Um, The kind of, it didn't really rush the process, but it started getting the things going was um, we noticed a lot of complacency going on. And uh, I don't know if you listen to a lot of podcasts, but um, there's a podcast out there and it's a fight against complacency. Um, So we kind of joined that fight and wanted to, you know, spread our knowledge around to other people um, and get that going. But yeah, you're right. Um, there definitely is a need, especially in the Midwest. Like I said, um, there's really no one in the Midwest that, at least in Nebraska, um, that really does what we're doing right now. Talk me through how you guys came to this decision. You just alluded to it a little bit, but talk me through the nitty gritty. How'd you guys come up with it? And how'd you finally make yeah. the decision to, you know, pass go? to go yeah um so we've been talking about it for a few years actually a couple years um i got assigned to the rescue company a little over two years ago and my captain and i first started talking about it then um and then actually it was myself my captain and the driver at the time who recently got promoted who's part of the company as well um so he's out running um running around the city but uh we started talking about a few years ago and um this was kind of right when COVID was going on. Um, so nothing really happened. And then uh, we started getting, getting more involved with USAR and talking to other people. And um, we really heard a lot of opinions on the type of training that others were getting. Um, so we just kind of decided, hey, let's see what see where this goes. We, decide, we did, designed a rate class to start, uh, which is a rapid intervention. Uh, We took a lot of numbers from Project Mayday and other RIT studies um, and basically designed a class. um, And we started giving it to other members in our battalion. And we gave it to a local volunteer company just to kind of feel people out to see if they liked the information, to see if we were teaching and stuff. Um, We got great feedback from everybody. So that kind of just got the ball rolling even more. Um, And we just went from there. No, that's really cool. Do you... um... Uh, so it's people in your firehouse that you do it with? Yeah, my captain and I um, in my firehouse. Uh, another guy who was the driver of the rescue who but got promoted. Um, he's at a different station now. Um, and then one other guy who's on the other rescue company in Omaha. Um, we're all on USAR together, so that's where it really stems okay. from. Which that's is, really cool. if you don't know what USAR is, Urban Search and Rescue, Nebraska Task Force 1 is what we're involved with. So what's your, I mean, what's your 90 day game plan? What's your, uh, you know, one year game plan apart from making cool challenge coins out of that patch? 
Uh, yeah, so right now, um, we're really, we got a lot of interest in our writ class right now. Uh, so we're really pushing that. Um, our game plan going forward, um, I would say, is definitely, oh, building building upon those classes, but then really get into the special ops classes. Um, Nebraska's kind of unique where you got a couple big departments and then you got a ton of super tiny little departments. So um, that special ops stuff might not be as needed in Nebraska, but we hope to kind of um, progress further in the Midwest. Um, we really want to start looking at different conferences. Um, we've, we've submitted our writ class for different conferences and we're hoping to kind of get our foot in the door there and share the stuff that we... And I guess um, those are state-level conferences. Us. Yeah, state-level conferences uh, like Wichita Hot. Um, and yeah, just stuff like, yeah, yeah. conferences. What, conferences um, uh, what are your... And I, I, Josh, I know I'm, and Ken, I know I'm kind of like hogging the questions right now, but, um, the, I just think it's remarkable. You guys are like filling a niche. I mean, trains don't decide to derail right next to major cities, right? They, they derail right. where they, where they derail. So I like your point that you just made about not only that, but you know, any special operation, you know, whatever your, uh, you know class offering would be it, it, it's really neat to hear that you're going to be able to um you know bring that training uh to parts of the state that may not have it how are you going to rectify like cost right because i mean a lot of these smaller volunteer departments especially may not have the budget to be able to afford private training like you're describing what are your goals for that yeah so that's what we're really striving for is to keep our costs low um we're big believers in sharing um, information in the fire service. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to be those people that we're just in it for the money. Um, we want to keep our costs low because that's what the fire service is all about. Spreading knowledge to other people, sharing that information, right? We always talked about in, um, California, you don't know what you don't know. Um, so hopefully other people, you know, they can take what we give them and give it to others. Um, every class, every class that we do, um, I've given them the PowerPoint so that they have that information. I'm not trying to hide it from anyone. I'm not trying to, this is mine. No, not at all. Um, I want other people to have that information and hopefully they can do the same. Yeah. Are there any practical components yet? Or, cause I mean, I mean, listen, I'm a fire one and that's it, bro. But I know that, I mean, there's <laughs> a lot more like physical practical evolutions that uh, might be useful. Have you any goals for like developing props or anything like that? Yeah. Um, that's definitely a, a future goal. Um, what we really want to work towards is getting a trailer, having props so that we can just pull it out, set everything up real quick and we we're good to go. Um, I'll use, I'll use the writ class for example, just because that's what, um, is really everyone's choosing to go with right now. I'm a big proponent in understanding the theory behind things and how we do things. Um, so we took basically project made numbers, other writ study numbers, and then we just, just we made up fire tactics tactics that base those numbers, right? So what a lot of these numbers, what they say is that your rapid intervention team, who for the longest time was supposed to be the people that went in and got down firefighters, well, the studies suggest otherwise. It suggests that one, you're either self-rescuing, or two, you're being pulled out by the other members that are already inside. So we're basically, <coughs> our writ class that we've, started so far is just um, teaching quick packaging techniques for the firefighters on the inside. What can they use that they have quick access to that they can package them in 20 seconds to get them out. And then we talk about how a RIT team, it's all teamwork. So the RIT team on the outside, you're forcing doors, you're making windows into doors, you're making the environment better so that they have a better chance of surviving you know, more, more egresses, uh, to get them out and hopefully making that environment better for those on the inside. Yeah. That's so cool. a lot, of, a lot of the practical things we are making practical, um, application based on, um, the information that's out there, the studies that are out there. That's interesting. Cause it almost seems like it goes back to individual firefighter safety first, 
right? I mean, that, that's yeah. kind of what you're describing. And then like having the, what the, what the immediate team can do, um, to, you know, assist with that. Cool. Right. Cool. Okay. I, uh, I'll, I'll give a pause, see what, you know, Ken or Josh have to ask. Honestly, you're kind of hitting on everything that, uh, would be asked here. Um, geez. <laughs> Well, well, while while Josh is thinking, I'll ask what is what did you say Project May Day or what what was it called? Yeah, can you Project describe what May that Day. is? Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, it's a study um, of roughly twelve thousand May Days um, compiled in one big data collection point. And what they did was they took all the audio, all the video, and basically broke it down um, into what happened. And one of the big things that they also did was at they had a second part where they interviewed everyone that was involved with the Mayday. So one of the big parts that always sticks with me is one of the questions is, did you have confidence in your RIT team? And I think it was 11%, only 11% said they had confidence in their RIT team. So that's another reason why we decided to design this class was, well, let's change that, right? Everyone wants to have confidence in the people that could potentially say, save your life. So let's give people those, that information, those skill sets to be able to do that. Well, let's, let's dig into, you probably don't want to go this way, but I, we're going to go this way. Let's dig into that a little deeper. Cause I imagine there's a lot more that goes into that 11% than just not having education and training. Right. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, just in my anecdotal experience, um, uh, even within jurisdictions, you have, um, differences in opinion on competency of career versus volunteer different a lot of places that are volunteer only may have different opinions on deferring like firehouses uh and i don't and maybe i mean josh or ken could speak to this but i don't know if there are standardized writ policies in many jurisdictions are there um so i can speak to my jurisdiction uh we have a really pretty standardized uh writ and uh rid dispatch uh, and policies around it. So like, for example, uh, our fifth engine on a, uh, box alarm is the RIT engine. Uh, when they, when they get there, they set up RIT, uh, they start, you know, doing their survey of the structure. Um, and then if a working incident is established, the next dispatch is the RID, which is a rapid intervention dispatch, which is going to bring, um, a special service, a ALS um, component and then a transport component as well. Um, once they arrive on scene, they're going to link up with the RIT engine and become the RIG, which is the rapid intervention group. And then they will stage at a specific point, usually on the alpha, side alpha, side one, whatever your jurisdiction uses to identify uh, the street side or address side of the structure. And then they will wait for activation. And that is their whole purpose. Um, there is some debate right now within my department on if that RID uh, or that rig and RIT should be actively participating in preparing the structure. There are some officers that believe in it and some that don't. Um, and the more proactive officers are definitely like, hey, let's, you know, make sure that we help with uh, throwing ladders. Let's make sure we help with racking out windows as needed. We're not going around just breaking every window in the house. We, we all know flow paths and issues with added ventilation where we don't need it, ventilation. Um, but then there's other ones that are like, no, we're going to be right here. We're going to be in the front. We don't want to be around the back if it gets activated or whatever. But um, I think it's going towards being more proactive on the fire ground mm-hmm. as the as the rid instead of just, you know, uh, taking your um, hook and jabbing in the ground and standing and waiting. Um and as as our uh, uh, scenes uh, evolve, uh, some of the units from the rig, uh, when it's determined that um, we can break down the rid size, at least the size of it, sometimes get used to uh, replace crews inside. So once it's kind of gotten to the point of like, hey, we're just opening up uh, and doing some overhaul, might be like, hey, go replace this unit on the second floor. Yeah. So. No, uh, you definitely hit it on the head right there. Um even we are, uh, yes, we have a big debate as well going on in our department right now on how rich should be. Um, so 
part of our RIT class, it talks about human performance when it comes to RIT. So I'll, Josh, I'll throw this at you. Um, there's a, have you ever heard of the Yerkson Dotson law? No, I have not. Okay, so basically it says there is a certain level of stress where you're at optimal performance, okay? Too little stress or too much stress, you're kind of just, you know, you're going haywire, you don't have that optimal performance. So when you're standing there, you know, um, in the front yard, your situational awareness is down because you're just standing there waiting for something to happen. So if you're actively involved, helping those members on the inside throwing ladders you know like you said you're not going to break out every single window but if you can throw ladders make it easier for if something does happen to get those guys or girls out um that's what you want to do um you're still involved you are cert you're constantly surveying the structure seeing what's going on but if you are just standing there in the front yard your situational awareness is down um so what's going to happen if a mayday is actually called you know it's going to take take some time to get get to where you want to be uh, that makes complete sense um and i think without stating that that law that that theory i think that's what a lot of the officers are going towards they're like hey let's let's be a part of the scene because being the the writ engine being on the writ has always been like oh, okay well let's go let's just go stand in the front yard and watch everyone else do the work yeah um but we're trying to change that with the younger officers that are learning these concepts and these ideas from other training companies or other conferences um, and trying to bring it back to us and evolve our department to make the response policy and the way we do things make it work best for our department and for the people that are working on the fire ground. Um, so something that I was thinking of that kind of directly comes off what Mustafa said and what we're talking about right now. So you're going around Nebraska and then the Midwest in general. Are mm -hmm. you finding, um, I guess, uh, response policies or writ policies that just don't make sense and that you guys are trying to bring yours to them and they're being open to it or not? I know, for example, um, one of the policies I know that a neighboring jurisdiction used to have kind of goes off of the blue card command policy. Yeah. Uh, the on deck um, apparatus is mm -hmm. the writ. Right. Um, and that played somewhat into a incident that they had. Um, but what were you guys finding as you're going around? Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> one, they don't even really have a writ policy. Um, especially around here, our rescue companies are technically always designated writ, I would say 90% of the time. So when you get smaller volunteer departments around us, they rely on us to be their writ team. So they don't really even have writ policies. But what we're trying to do, we're not trying to go and change anyone's policies or do anything like that. We're just trying to inform people on all of the material that's out there. We're, we're stating that everyone on the fire ground is the writ team um that's how we always say it everyone on the fire ground is the writ team because the ones closest to the firefighter they will probably the ones rescuing but depending on where you are with air and everything like that you might not be the one pulling them out but if you can at least get them packaged where your writ team goes in and finishes the job it's just going to cut it's just going to take that much less time uh, to get that firefighter out meanwhile the writ team should have those ladders thrown they should have other egresses um, stuff like that. So we like to teach that everyone on the fire ground is the RIT team. It's, everyone needs to have some form of RIT training on the fire ground. It's just not one designated company that you rely on. Um, it should be everyone needs to have some form of RIT training. Awesome. Yeah. How, and yeah, I, think, I think that can play out into a, a bunch of different things within the fire service. Like yeah, not absolutely. just RIT, not just, you know, being on the nozzle. Um, you know, we are seen in the fire and EMS service as this quasi weird jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, we get called for everything from the working house fire, the cardiac arrest to the stub toe or the, um, you know, the, the water problems, the, you know, the water's pouring out of the ceiling. Let's call the fire department, you know, right. or, um, 
you know, and we, we kind of have to figure out how we do everything while specializing in some, but we are being called to do anything at any time. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, this being, you know, a big EMS uh, podcast, you know, the fire service is getting more and more involved in EMS, um, whether some people like it or not. You know, that's a whole, whole different debate and topic and issue. But, um, you know, it, it, it emphasizes that we need to be good at the jobs that we're being called to to do. 100%. You know, regardless of what it is. So. And going back to, Absolutely. I don't want to make this a writ podcast, but it's interesting. Um, what really sticks out to me is low frequency, high risk. Right. And we've talked that yep. about that a lot on this podcast yep. in terms of paramedic skills. Right. But it's the same. Um, uh, having a cold rate engine suddenly have to respond to a down firefighter. Uh, it, it, they're going, it's like a cold athlete about to go run a mile. Right. Or run exactly. a sprint. Um, because not only are you physically cold, right, physically down, but mentally you go from zero to one of the most critical moments of your career potentially because one of your own is in there stuck and you got to go get them, right? Um, right? So, no, I really like the idea of, you know, keeping warm. Um, and I wonder what the, you know, like like Josh said, you know, being a primarily an EMS podcast, what the, uh, and this is also a, a topic for another day, what the equivalent of keeping warm is for EMS then, right? Um, I, I think I have an answer for that, Moose, and Ken said it the other day, actually. Uh, we made a post about it. Um, and it's when you go into work, you're actively engaging in things that are going to prepare you for your day. Uh, so, Ken said uh, in Facebook and we reposted it on Instagram, he takes the opportunity to innovate a mannequin whenever he gets a chance. And while he may not innovate that day, even though there's, there's a strong chance he's going to be involved in an airway because of his position, um, it's good, it's warming up his abilities for the day or for maybe later in the week when he does have to use them. Um, and so it doesn't have to be like on the scene that we're warming up. But the talk in the firehouse, the talk at the EMS station, the talk at the dinner table, you know, hey, talking about tactics, recent incidents, how does how does this work into our company, our unit, our people? Um, I'm very fortunate to work at a station that one is super busy uh, and two has a lot of very proactive members that we we hash out incidents over and over and over again. Uh, we just had a really major high rise incident in my uh, jurisdiction that I think we've talked about at least five or six times in the past. I think it's been a month since it happened. And like, just how are we going to play into this? How are we going to do this? And it warms the mind so that when you're on scene, you're ready to go. You're already kind of thinking about it. It's in the back of your head. Uh, maybe it's not the forefront, but it's at least warmed up your mind for it. Physically, I think just being active, you know, um, and I'm not one to really uh, harp on the whole physical fitness thing because I didn't do it for a long time and I got back into it. But just getting the heart pumping during the day instead of just sitting on the couch or sitting at the table all day. So, Ken, I feel like we haven't asked you anything. What do you got? That's okay. I've been in and out. Uh, so, no, I mean, I would really echo what you said. I mean, the key to staying warmed up is constantly training and using your, your skills and your brain whenever you can. And it's not just physical. It's not just intubating that mannequin whenever you can. It's reading that report um, online or that study online. It's reading scenarios. It's going to case studies. It's, you know, doing the kinds of things where you can think, okay, maybe I haven't seen this before. Maybe I have, but there's something different about this particular situation that I can learn from and then expand on it. You know, kind of let your brain wander a little bit. Let your imagination run wild. What if this happened? What if that happened? How could, how would I react to that? Uh, and I think that's exactly where we, we we go with, you know, the whole staying warmed up thing. 
And Absolutely. Yeah. You talked about the uh, what if, you know, part of our RIT class. I know we're talking about the RIT class again. I'm just throwing it in there. Part of the stuff we teach is um, the, the planning, right? Um, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Okay. Well, if you just sit at the kitchen table and talk about, well, what if this, what if that, what if that, um, there, it's an emergency for a reason, right? It's not, it's never going to happen the way you think it's going to, but if you have those conversations, um, what if this, what if that, you know, maybe it, through those conversations, um, you develop a plan, um, just from those simple conversations at, and at the dinner table. Cody, let me ask you this. Um, if you were a leader, um, say in your authority having jurisdiction or your state, what response slash efforts slash help would you want from them for the initiative that you guys have taken? Uh, I definitely everyone should have to have some form of writ training. It you know the NFPA standard for writ is the list of things is incredible. But even just having a couple, like simply how to package a down firefighter, um, how to provide air to that down firefighter, just stuff like that, that's just going to kick the ball rolling to hopefully evolve our training um, and get people more motivated to want to do that stuff. Because no one, I think Josh mentioned it earlier, a lot of people, they don't want to be rip because they think it's just standing out in the front yard, not doing anything, watching everyone else work. Um, But that's not the case. You want to be proactive, not reactive. Um, So I think by giving people an understanding of what RIT can actually do. Um, I definitely think that's the start um, just to get that basic knowledge, right? You don't know what you don't know. So if people know this stuff or at least have an idea, maybe that just gets the ball rolling into other, other training as well. You've also got me thinking, you really got me thinking that how, what the, the large percentage of rescues were either self rescues or rescues, um, uh, uh, done by folks on the same unit. Uh, correct. Yep. Is that right? Um, yep. what yep. do you remember? What percentage was actually conducted by a RIT team? 8%. So two things, was there a sub analysis done of that 8% of, uh, uh, folks, uh, to see, to find any unique patterns? Um, and also, I guess we're just going to title this writ with Cody. Uh, are we <laughs> are we going about writ all wrong then? I mean, obviously, um, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's obvious. I don't know anything. But I, I just think that there is so much new information coming out, and there's a lot of people with an old mindset that this is the way we've always done it. That um, some are just a little resistant to change right now. Um, what are but, some unique models? Sorry, not to cut you off, but what are some unique models of RIT that don't follow this model, maybe across the country or across the world? Or maybe that's an opportunity. I'm, yeah, I would say just the, you're going to stand in the front yard next to the chief and wait for something to happen. I, I would say that's a majority of what you're going to get when it comes to RIT. Um, but if you're getting that a more, more proactive department, those are going to be the ones that are softening your structure, throwing ladders, making doors or windows into doors, you know, making forcing other doors for egress. Um, I just think (laughs) we have done the just stand in the front yard and wait for something to happen for so long. And back to your question about the 8% or when it comes to the actual RIT team, typically what's going to happen is those on the inside are going to run out of air. So they're going to have to get out. Well, the RIT team is going to have to come in and finish the job. So um, that's, I mean, that's probably the majority of your 8% right there. So uh, I can comment from my department, something that we've done. Um, I don't know when this started. Uh, so when I went through the academy in 2017, 2018, uh, part of our, one of our required classes was uh, firefighter safety and survival. And mm-hmm. it's, a Mar- it's a Maryland level class, not a, a homegrown class. And so all career members after a certain point were required to have this uh, and taken it. And I think it really helps emphasize um the the firefighters and personnel around where that mayday happens can do a lot to affect that rescue and so we covered things like the denver drill the cleveland drill buffalo and used props for all of them um and never did we talk about hey uh the we're, we're we're the writ engine 
coming in. I'm in the no, th- we are the crews with them. Uh, and then working on how to work that and no, in conjunction but, uh, with right now, so. a writ company. Yeah. Know? And so, yeah, you keep, you've said it a couple of times, yes. Cody, that we've all like emer- echoed it. It's, not, it's the back? people around them that are going to okay. Okay. Um, initiate those immediate measures, unless the people around them are involved in it as well. Yeah. Like, you know, like a, a massive floor collapse into a fully involved basement or something like that. Um, I know in my department, and I, I don't quote me on this, I think all of our May days have been self-rescue mm-hmm. in, in recent memory, have been self-rescue or rescued by those around them. Um, like uh, a classmate of mine went through the floor up to his waist. It was the captain and the backup firefighter that pulled him out. Um, we had a... Uh, a townhome fire six, seven years ago that the second floor pancaked into the first floor um, and a officer and nozzleman rode the floor down to the first floor. And it was the nozzleman and the captain that self-rescued themselves and came out the now first floor windows, you know, and it was the nozzleman who pulled out the body line, EBSS line and connected and the captain didn't even know. And how yeah. they came connected. What's EDSS? You know, and, and it's your emergency breathing supply system. Oh. Is that what it stands for, Cody? I feel like I should know this. <laughs> that sounds right. It's it's different terminology <laughs> everywhere. So yeah, so it's it's your buddy breathing line, basically. That um, it, it's up your department if you want it on your uh, air packs. Uh, most of the major manufacturers now offer it as something that can be added. Um, but every rip pack has that line in it as well. One to buddy breathe and one to transfill. Uh, so to, uh, fill up this, uh, equalize the cylinders between the rip pack and the down firefighters pack. Um, so, you know, stuff like that, but I, I don't necessarily want to credit that class is doing that, but it is te- We are making sure that our people understand that like, Hey, we can do self to self rescue and rescue each other. And then, add in the writ, you know, have them help us out. So, right. That's awesome. That, that self survival class that you just talked about. That's, that's awesome. One of the, I know in like in Nebraska, one of the, my biggest issues and another reason why we started forming this country or started forming this uh, company (laughs) is that everyone teaches to like NIFSTA or a lot of the book material that's created, you know, for everyone around the, well, that stuff's not realistic. We wanted to teach stuff that you're actually going to see on the fire ground. That's going to help you on the fire ground. Not the, if we do a search, you got to make sure you're on the other guy's boot, right? Following them. Um, That's us. It's not real. And it's, it does our public no justice of teaching people that, but that's, that's the minimum standard that everyone has to teach. And like here in Omaha, that's, that's the Academy is just getting your fire one, which is, you know, just your, typical NISTA, here you go. They're teaching you to pass a test. They're not teaching you real life stuff. Why do you think yeah. that's the case? Why, why, did, how, how, and why do you think it got to the point where, so what jurisdiction, what are you talking about? NISTA? What is that? NISTA. Yeah. It's national Institute of fire like, or something. Yeah. They're basically in charge of, they basically create the curriculum for. They're like um, an REMT. Okay, so uh, what, so what happened? What 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 do you think? Uh, where's the disconnect? So that's definitely that's a state thing. So they everyone on the fire department has to be fire one and fire two. So they go through the academy to get their fire one, and then their first year they're working on getting their fire two. So that's basically your first two years are just working to get those two certifications. Even if you already have them, all right. I got on. I already had my fire one, my fire two, but I still had to go through that process. So I just had to learn all that stuff all over again. I'm not learning anything new. I just had to learn all that, all that stuff from the book all over again. I I guess I meant where, where, why, or when did it get to the point where the stuff that was being taught by the national leaders of firefighting becomes so disconnected with the, with the real world stuff? Um, I know these are hard pushing questions, buddy, but I mean, yeah. I think this is what needs to be talked about. I don't, I don't think it's like that everywhere. I just think there's more progressive departments than others. 
I would say. So I can, once again, uh, my department. Um, so we, we have the same thing that we have to teach to that standard for fire one and fire two. So our Academy, you get fire one, fire two, uh, you can come in with it for a, what's called, a, um, I'll call it a pre-cert class, not to really identify where I work, uh, but a pre-cert class where you have fire one, fire two, hazmat, and EMT. Uh, and then they're going to teach you, you're going to kind of run through the fire stuff again for three to four weeks, rehash, like in case maybe you got your fire one, fire two, 10 years prior. And then all you did was EMS up to that point. And then you got hired. Hey, let's let's get these gears uh, working again. Let's you know go over moving hand lines, uh, all the basics. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a traditional class, so you get fire one, fire two over the course of uh, two months. Um, instruction in the morning, skills in the afternoon. We teach to the NIFS the standard. But we also then, once we've hit those standards, start teaching how are we going to do this actually in the field? So... Mm-hmm. For example, the NIFSA standard for a extension ladder is a two-person carry with a two-person throw, and you know one's healing, one's climbing. But see again, out he goes again. <laughs> uh, so, but once we've covered what is required by the state, which is the NIFSA standard, the MIFRI standard, um, we then get into how to throw a twenty-four by yourself how to, you know, advance a hand line by yourself if you have to, you know, having your um, backup man at the doorway, but hey, you got to get down the hallway. You know, we've incorporated mm-hmm. some outside the box classes, um, not that Alert Medic 1 endorses, but Nozzle Forward, we've brought that in, you know, put pieces yeah. of that into our academy. Um, and then at the end of the academy, we actually have like a truck ops class, a rescue company class, engine company class, where we incorporate these things of how we do it in the field. Uh, so that we can be better prepared once we hit the street so that if day one of riding, you know, in the back, if we go to a fire and they say, hey, take that 24 and throw yourself, we're good to go. Or, hey, we're running uh, an engine company of three because the paramedic upgraded and now it's the captain and the nozzleman that are making that stretch down the hallway. Hey, the captain... Should be right there, but sometimes he's going to have to do some other stuff because he's first arriving officer. Hey, backstep firefighter, get that line in service by yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think when you look, it depends on what the department can handle. You know, right. I, I don't know the specifics of Omaha and um, what you guys, you know, if the size of your department determines, hey, we need to have this academy be 16 weeks and not 26 weeks like mine was. Um, and hey, we're going to learn a lot in the field, but we're going to get the basics and what we need for accreditation here in the academy type thing. And that that's really, that's fluid across every department. You 100%. Know, uh, a department that I border with is a 10 month academy, regardless of what you come in with. Uh, because they add in extra stuff that you are expected to learn in the academy and then get checked off in the field during your probie time. Mm-hmm. So, but I, th- I think that's, it's back to your original question, Moose. You asked why, why is, you know, the NIFS the standard? Why are we adhering to it too much? And why is there a disconnect? They want to get people out in the field. Uh, I think you see that in EMS too. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of programs out there, paramedic programs and EMT programs that teach specifically to the NREMT standard, and that is it. There's nothing extra. You know, um, for example, the program I went through, the thing about it, right, I think I did 15 ride-alongs during my time uh, in paramedic class with an ambulance. 15 shifts that totaled about 35 patient encounters but then a ton of hospital clinicals. Whereas the program I teach in, they're on the medic units, chase cars, um, paramedic engines from day one until they're credentialed. They have like, I don't know, probably 1,200, 1,500 hours running calls in the field before they hit the field as a credential provider. You know, And so it's just, I think it really depends on one, what your department can handle and then what they're willing to teach to. I wonder if there's also a component of when you're trying to 
standardized at a national scale, it's kind of hard to do that without having, you know, uh, a, what's the term? I don't know. A low ceiling, maybe. I don't know. I, and I'm just talking here. I don't know. Um, and for the record, I'm not endorsing or talking trash about anybody. I, I, I truly don't know. Oh, no. Um, you know, what the process is, what the standards are. It's just interesting. Um, this isn't the first time we've heard on this podcast that a national standard has not is not adequate to the real world. So um, it, it's, it's it's interesting you bring that up. Um, Cody, I, I don't want to take too – I mean, we're, we're already at 46 minutes here. I, I, what, what else can uh, – you know, the, if, the, if there's listeners that are you just interested in following your journey – if there's folks that are interested in, um, you know, maybe consuming some of your content, like what, what, what can they do? How can they support? Uh, what's it called again? What's your group called again? Uh, Midwest Misfits. Okay. Uh, so yeah, um, we're on social media. We try and post training tips, um, quite a bit actually. Uh, but our Instagram is MW Misfits underscore rescue. Um, you can go to our Facebook page, um, which is Midwest Misfits LLC. And then we also have our website, uh, MidwestMisfitsRescue.com. Um, we're trying to dabble in TikTok. Um, so we've, we've posted a few TikTok videos out that's, there. But that's where I saw you guys the other day. I, I just looked it up. You're three to one to five to one. And that came across. Yeah, that's it. Like yeah. For you page. I remember awesome. That. Until it gets banned. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no kidding. Uh, but yeah, I would say, um, Instagram, we try and post training tips just as, like I said, we're not trying to hide anything from anyone. We want people to have all this information, whatever, hopefully some of this stuff that we post is going to help others. So, Mm -hmm. Hey, if it saves one life, man, you did your job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's cool, man. Josh, what else you got? Uh, nothing else. I mean, if this was a fire service podcast, we could go on for days about, writ and all kinds of different stuff and how different departments operate but i think this has been a great talk not only like you said it's going to be the writ episode but like talking about just training in general and mindset um as um a member of the fireground member of uh, a scene that just because you are um lumped into a task or category you know in this case the writ category or writ task doesn't mean that like Hey, it's not this strict adherence to something. Keep your mind working. uh, Keep it warmed up. Keep your body warmed up. You know, doing things on scene, being proactive. Um, Even if it's just, you know, hey, I'm looking at the structure. Okay, where are they operating right now? Okay, have I been in a structure like this before? Okay, what's the layout? What's it going to be like? You know, um, and constantly thinking, not just sitting there and smoking and joking like we do anyways when we're on writ or standing in the front yard. You know, mm-hmm. also have that uh, that mindset like, hey, what's actually going on? What, where are the crews? You know, um, and that just kind of plays out into how we should prepare ourselves in general. Um, my department, we have uh, our main dispatch plane over the channel, uh, the speakers all day. And just that simple thing of knowing where units are going, what units are out, what are they running? Oh, hey, what was that? Are they asking for an upgrade on something? You know, just that situational awareness, that keeping your mind warm, keeping your body warmed up. So I think it was some great topics today or great, great talk about some, some things. Cody, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Anything we can do to help? No, uh, we're, no, we're new in the game. We're just trying to get our message out there. You know, we don't, we really want to, we want people to keep, always keep learning, right? Always be a student of the game. Um, we always say, be a misfit, be a student of the craft. Um, you, you just, you can't stop learning. You're never, then you, you're never going to be the best that you can be. Um, so that's what we're really trying to strive for is hopefully uh, by taking one of our classes or looking at our Instagram and seeing, hey, there's a lot of stuff out there. Maybe that just pushes others like, yeah, I don't know what I don't know. Pushes them even further to dive deeper uh, and get that learning mindset. Yeah, I tell my students all the time, go to go to social media and start following, you know, this list of pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and while you're sitting there, even if you know, you're having that conversation at the kitchen table or you're in the bathroom, you know, whatever, you're scrolling, you're seeing things, you're seeing studies, you're seeing, you know, um, 
helmet cam videos. You're seeing all kinds of stuff that like, hey, how does that play into what I do every day? How can yep. I take a piece of this to chalk in the back of my mind and use later or to grow my mind uh, for bigger things? So it's one of the most positive in a, in a world where I mean I I'm not gonna lie Cody I cringe a little bit and Josh will tell you when you said TikTok but uh, uh I, I I'm right there with you I'm uh, right there with you <laughs> the but um I, so in a, in the world where social media gets such a bad rap and deservedly so this is one mm-hmm. of those um, moments where it's quite the opposite where we as humanity, as people have at our fingertips, the most amount of information we have ever had. And we have an opportunity to use and a duty to use if we're in, 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 in public service. So um, I really commend you for you and your team for, you know, starting this for, you know, the people of uh, Nebraska and Omaha, you know, you're starting in Omaha, but the people of Nebraska, and I hope that you guys serve as leaders, uh, you know, as, be- as beacons of what should be done and maybe you can motivate and, um, kind of be an example to other folks that can do similar things. Um, and like I told you before, we were, you know, before we even planned this, anything we can do to help, we're happy to help uh, continue doing what you're doing. And I, I'll say this, it's, it's nice to be able to talk to a CHDS uh, uh, classmate again. So, oh, so, absolutely. It's yeah. been too long. Yeah. It's been too long. It has. It has. I, 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 I appreciate it though. Uh, this is awesome guys. I love, love talking to you guys about this so i really appreciate it yeah you're, you're always welcome you're always welcome. next time we can when we record you can bring one of your people or any of your people really yeah perfect we just say we don't promise we're going to publish but we'll promise we'll record hey round table <laughs> hey hey moose um yeah. if you go on instagram right now and you follow mw misfits you'll be their 1200th follower i can do that Ooh. right now you right <laughs> automatically gave... have more followers than us, so that's good. Oh, by far. <laughs> by far. Well, to be fair, we didn't we didn't really do our Instagram that much. We uh, yeah, we're... I'm I'm trying I'm trying to re- resurrect it. Josh so to our followers, uh, I'm there trying. I'm what is, trying. What is it? Mw underscore misfits. No, mw M- misfits. Yeah, underscore rescue. I'll tell you what that social media game. I've never done it before, but it's it's tough work. Yeah, I've only been doing it for the past week. And, Bingo, twelve hundred. All right. No, but Josh has been doing a solid job. Seriously, do you follow yeah, ours? Awesome. You, you should, Cody. I just gave you a follow. You should give ours a follow, sir. I'm pretty right, sure I do follow you. Oh, really? Medic one just followed. <laughs> yeah. uh, Misfits as well. So, oh, cool. Cool. Um. Yeah, man. Uh, do, I guess take it out. Yeah, Josh. All you, buddy. Okay. Uh, well, thanks, Cody, for coming on. Thanks for uh, talking to us about Brit. Uh, off topic for our usual stuff, but still a great topic. Great things were brought up uh, for everyone else out there. Thanks for listening wherever it is. Good day. Good night. Good evening. Make sure you like and follow alert medic one on all our social media and reach out and comment. If you have any questions or thoughts, have a nice night guys. You've been listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner.